Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. So good to see everybody this morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, 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 good. I'm so glad you guys are here. How many of you picked, uh, said an old school, uh, um, Chevy Chase, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, best Christmas movie of all time? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Probably my top three Christmas movies are uh, Elf and then National Lampoon's and then Christmas with the Cranks. You guys haven't seen Christmas with the Cranks, you're missing out. It's hilarious. Anyway, it's good to see you guys today. I'm glad you guys are here. Hey, I do want to just kind of echo uh, part of what Chris was talking about. Hey, listen, um, year after year after year, I read information uh, about surveys with people who um, do not go to church regularly. And year after year after year, uh, it's the same thing. Overwhelmingly, people who never go to church are more inclined to come to church on a Christmas Eve service than at any other time throughout the year, all right? So why do we do Christmas Eve? Listen, I I hope you come. I hope it's a good time for your family. But I'm just gonna let you know, you are not the reason why we do Christmas Eve services, okay? We do Christmas Eve services for people who don't know about Jesus that otherwise wouldn't step foot in a church that might be inclined to do so because you invite them. That's why we do Christmas Eve service. So I can promise you it's going to be awesome. The band's going to be great. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun for the kids. We're going to share Jesus as clearly and creatively as we can. I just want you to know why we do Christmas Eve service. So listen, be thinking of people, be praying for people, invite people to come to Christmas Eve um, so that we can see um, maybe this year the best Christmas ever for people as they move from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Amen. Amen. Welcome to week two of our teaching series called Fighting Blind. I love this graphic, by the way, that our team came up with. Um, I just would hate to be the dude with the blindfold. But sometimes in life, how many of you have ever felt like you were the dude in the blindfold because you got punched by somebody who wasn't in a blindfold? Something in life happened and it punched you right in the mouth and you didn't see it coming. It was a fight. It was a battle. And you didn't even know it was happening. Well, this series, the purpose of this series, I'm trying to teach you how to fight the battles of life with your eyes wide open so that you can experience more victory in your life. The title of today's message is a question, and the question is, what is your approach? What is your approach? Let me ask you, have you been preparing at all for the battles that you're going to face this next week? What are you, what are you doing to prepare? What are you doing to get ready? Have you thought about it? You see, in the fight game, in the, whether it's boxing or UFC or whatever, they, they, they will know weeks, sometimes a couple of months in advance who their opponent is. And what they will do is they will begin watching film of the person that they're fighting. And what they're doing is, is they are, they're, they're looking for tendencies. What are, the, what are the attacks? What are the offensive tendencies that the fighter I'm facing is, is, is prone to so that I can be ready to defend against them? And then what are the weaknesses in their game that I can exploit? And what they're doing, they'll spend hours and hours and hours with their coach and with their team devouring this film, trying to build a fight plan because what they believe is, what every fighter believes is, if I can go into the fight with the right plan, then I will be more inclined to win. And what every fighter knows, if I go into the fight with the wrong plan or if I don't execute the plan, then what happens is, is I might end up on my back, knocked out Jack. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody goes into a fight and go, I can't wait to get knocked out today. If you ever meet somebody like that, that's the person that you want to make sure you're fighting. And I'm here to tell you that what is true in the fight game is true for our lives. That it's necessary for us as we, as we know, we're going to go through battles. We're going to have fights. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have issues. But if we don't if we don't prepare ourselves for those, if we're not ready for those, then what will happen is, is we won't have a plan at all and we'll just go into it and then we'll end up losing the fight altogether. Or in the midst of trying to win a battle, we end up losing a war and we hurt a relationship in a way that is, that is so deep and so painful that it's hard to recover from it. 
And what I want to help you see as we go through this today, as we prepare today, is, is I want to help you see what it looks like to prepare. It's critical that we spend time in preparation. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen and help you out. 2 Kings chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. And um, uh, we're going to be studying about Elisha. Elisha was a prophet. Now, if you're new to studying the Bible, if you're new to um, the Jesus thing, then, then I want to kind of help all of us be on the same page. Elisha was a prophet. And what a prophet was, is was God's spokesperson to God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, on God's behalf. Basically, God, God highly favored Israel. He chose them as his special people. And he would send somebody that he chose to go be his messenger so that his people would always know where God wanted them to be and what it is that God wanted for them. And as we go into this today, we're gonna see a story unfold. We're gonna see a conflict happen. We're gonna see the stuff that leads up to the battle. We're gonna see the battle and we're gonna see the outcome of the battle. And it's all gonna be a little odd because it's a weird kind of battle. But what we're gonna learn today from Elisha the prophet are, are some things that if we will take them and apply them to the way that we live on the regular, then we will be prepared, we will be ready for whatever battles, whatever fights we find ourselves in. And I wanna to start today just a little bit different. I wanna to, to start off by taking a moment and praying for you because here's what I believe and here, I believe that the message that God's put on my heart for you today has the power to radically impact your life. It can impact your marriage. It can impact you as a parent. It can impact you in your career. It can impact you with your neighbors. It can impact your life with your family. I believe it has the power to impact every area of your life. But I'm concerned that the, the connection won't be made because, because it will be a little obscure because you're not necessarily gonna see how it connects to your life. And I just wanna pray as we get started that the Spirit of God would, would speak through this and help make some supernatural connections. So Lord, I wanna to come to you today. I wanna to ask that you would move mightily and powerfully in the lives of people. God, here's what I know. I know that every single person here has either just come out of a battle, they're waiting for a battle, or they're walking into a battle. And the principles of your word today have such significant consequences for us and how we experience what happens in the battle. So God, I pray that you would draw connections and correlations and help us to learn today from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Second Kings chapter six, if you're with me, let me hear you say, fight. fight. Here we go. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God, now this phrase, the man of God is going to be used several times. That's always talking about Elisha, all right? And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him and he was watchful there and not just once or twice. So basically this kept happening over and over. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. Mm. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. So what's going on here? Syria and Israel are at battle. And the king of Assyria continues to gather with his military advisors and they continue to design attack strategies against Israel. These are secret kind of attacks as is most usually the case in war. You don't usually tell people, I'm coming, here I come, right? And so, um, so the king of Syria is with his uh, military advisors and they're devising these plans. But the problem is, is every time they show up for a secret attack, Israel's army is there waiting for them. And this happens again and again and again. Now here's what the king of Syria knows. The king of Syria knows like if it happens once, that's an anomaly, right? Like that's, that's unusual. If it happens twice, well, that's a trend. If it happens three times, it's a pattern. And it keeps happening again and again and again. And the king comes to one conclusion. We have a rat. There is a spy in our midst. Who is the spy? And his advisors look around and they're like, 
None of us. They say, here's who the spy is, King. It's Elisha. And he hears what you say in your bedroom. Now, here's the problem with that. Elisha ain't never left Israel. See, what's happening in this situation is that God, because Elisha is God's prophet, God is passing on secret information, confidential intelligence about what the Syrians are doing. And then Elisha is passing that information on to the king and the king is passing information on to his military advisors. And every time Syria shows up for a surprise attack, Israel's like, how y'all doing? And the king is upset about it. So he, he signs the, the order. He sends a spec ops team to go find Elisha and say, y'all bring him here. We're going to do some enhanced interrogation. Okay. Now, the rest of the story of this play, I'm just going to tell you, it, it, it gets weird. All right. But hold on because it's going to get good. This is what happens starting in verse 14. <clears throat> Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And he came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, remember that's Elisha, Elisha's the man of God, his servant, he, go, he wakes up early in the morning and he goes out and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Elisha answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, verse 17, and said, Lord, I, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike the people I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness and according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. This is like Jedi stuff right here. These are not the droids you're looking for. This is not the right place. Follow me. That's what's happening here. Um, let's see, where am I? Uh, um, I just lost my place. Verse 19. This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria, deep inside the territory of Israel. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord... Open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were there inside Samaria. Now it's hard to put into words how shocking this would have been to them. This would have been like trying to go visit and see a, a really good football team and you show up in Columbia. I'm gonna ride it, baby. I'm gonna ride it. For those who don't get the reference, I'm a Razorback fan, and we, we, we demolished Mizzou last week, and I'm going to hold on to that for a while. Verse 21, then the king of Israel saw them, and he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Now, it's a little weird that he uses this phrase, my father. Elisha, you know, I am not your father, right? Like, just more Star Wars stuff worked in. It just, it preaches itself, people. And, uh, and Elisha, Elisha, the king is basically recognizing the position of authority that Elisha has as a prophet. That's what's going on there. But he answered and said, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after that, they ate and they drank and they set them away and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Now, this is crazy. I mean, this is a crazy cool story. I mean, you're talking about incredible opposition, divine intervention, uh, winning a conflict without drawing a single sword and winning with kindness instead of ferocity in the face of battle. What in the world is going on here? How is it possible that Elisha being targeted by a spec ops team, being completely surrounded, is able to navigate his way out of it, not only not being arrested, not being harmed, but not having to shoot a single arrow in the process? It's because Elisha knew some things, some things that we need to know. That approach is critical. Here's why. Because the way that we approach battles, the way that we approach fights, the way that we approach conflict, our approach dictates the outcome just as much as the tactics do. But here's the problem. So many of us, we don't think about approach. 
We don't spend any time preparing our approach to the battles. We just know that on any given moment, I mean, it's not like UFC where I can watch tape for months and months. No, this is life. And on any given day, in any given moment, I can have several different battles and several different fights come from several different places all at the same time. How do we prepare for that? The problem is, is that we don't spend any time thinking about how we prepare for it. Instead, what happens is we just recognize that we're in the battle and then we immediately go into win mode and, and we try to engage all of these tactics. But the problem is, is that in the midst of all of the tactics that we use, we end up having to fight in a way in order to try to win something that God wanted to help us see it didn't have to be this way if you would just focus on your approach. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you four observations, four things, four uh, areas of approach for Elisha that if we will take these and apply these to our lives and if we'll wake up in the morning and recognize, God, today I'm going into enemy territory and I want to make sure I'm prepared for whatever's happening. And what God wants to show us today is that if we will be in a constant state of ready, because if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. If we'll stay ready, if we'll stay prepared in these four areas of approach, then it will significantly alter the battles and the fights that we face. What are these approaches? Well, first, I want you to see what Elijah did that we've got to do. We have to approach battles with faith. We have to approach with faith. I want you to notice starting in verse 14, what happens? Let's go back. So therefore he sent horses, king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city and the horses and chariots. And he said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha's young servant is scared. And it's reasonable that he would be scared because he walks outside and sees, come out, we've got you completely surrounded. And we don't know if he tried the Jedi mind trick or not, but it didn't work. He's afraid. And, and, and this is normal, by the way. Anytime that you, you find yourself in a battle where you think that you can't win, where, where there's insurmountable odds, and it seems that everything is against you, there's no way you can win. It's normal for us to be afraid. By the way, let me, let me say something to the men for just a second. Men, I, I get you. We don't like saying that we're afraid of nothing. So let me, let me share with you a couple things that show up that is rooted in fear, but we don't like to call it fear. Stress is rooted in fear. Anxiety, rooted in fear. Uncertainty, rooted in fear. So every time I say the word fear in this message, I want you to just replace it with whichever one of those three is your trigger thing, okay? Because, you know, we're men, manly men. I ain't afraid of nothing. I ain't afraid of nothing. Till a snake shows up and then I'm out. I'm out. Ultimately, what God shows us here, it's significant that God tells us that this is Elisha's young servant because what this reveals is something that's so important for us to understand that if you're a believer, what happens for so many believers is we get saved that moment where we move from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, and that becomes the end of our, 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 our walk with Jesus. We might show up to church every once in a while. We might do something nice every once in a while, but there's no growth. And the problem with that is, is that we stay in this state of spiritual immaturity. Listen, I love you, but there's some people that are hearing me today that are in a state of spiritual maturity, and the level of your maturity is not determined by how long you've been saved. The level of your maturity is how close you are to Jesus. And so what I'm going to talk about today is going to ruffle your feathers just a little bit, but I love you because here's what I want you to understand. As long as you walk physically mature, but spiritually you're an infant, because, because you're, not, you're, not, you're not spending time with the Lord and his word. You're not trying to understand and unpack what God's word is. And, and, and you're allowing things like, I don't know what it says and I don't know what it means to, to be a barrier for you. Instead of allowing us as a church to come alongside of you and help you with that, you stay in a place of spiritual immaturity. You may have gotten saved, but you've never gotten baptized and, and you've never jumped into next steps class so that you can begin to understand the journey that God wants you to be on and, and how you take the steps on that journey. 
You've never gotten engaged in biblical community where you can allow God to surround you with people of faith that love you, that care about you, that will challenge you, encourage you, and support you as you go through the journey of faith and help you discover that there is freedom that can be found in the context of biblical community as God leads you out of the bondage and the pain and the shame and the sin that used to be true about you and lead you to a place where you can live in the freedom, not being defined or identified or, or labeled by those things that you did in the past. You've never come to a point of understanding that God designed you on purpose, for purpose, and you're not, you're not engaging and serving in the church. You're not engaging and serving out in the community. And so because you're not doing these things, then you're still in a place of spiritual immaturity. And when you are in a place of spiritual immaturity, then what happens when you face the battles of life, the conflicts of life, your tendency will be to always see the opposition and you will disengage and you will run and hide from the battles because all you'll be able to see is what the devil is doing to try to trip you up and mess you up and blow you up and you won't be able to see where the spirit of the Lord is and where God is showing up to be with you to lead you to guide you and when he says in Psalm 23 that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death but I can fear no evil for my God is with me his rod and his staff they comfort me you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies and I can eat and be filled and safe. You see, when you walk and live in spiritual immaturity and you don't do any of the things that we as a church are trying to help you with, then it will forever handicap you in the battles of life. What I want you to see is that God's desire is that you would reach a place of spiritual maturity, that you would grow in your faith, that you would understand that God wants you to discover life, discover belonging, discover purpose and make a difference so that you can begin to understand it's not about so that you can do more stuff, it's so that you can be closer to Jesus and that your eyes can be more attuned not to where the devil is and where he's doing things in your life, but that you will be able to tune your soul into the frequency of the Lord and be able to see where he is at your life. And God wants us to be moved not by fear, but by faith. Notice what happens in verse 16. Elisha answers, don't, don't fear them, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now that seems ridiculous. Elisha hasn't even gone out to see the, the situation, but he doesn't have to. Because Elisha is not in a place of spiritual immaturity like his servant is. Elisha has reached a place of, of spiritual maturity to a point that he doesn't need to see what the opposition is. He already knows what the outcome will be. And how did Elisha get there? It didn't happen overnight. No, see, for Elisha, it happened years of following Jesus, years of following the Lord, years of obediently pursuing him. And it began all the way back when he had first received the invitation from another prophet named Elijah, God had spoken to Elijah, said, I want you to go to such and such a place and find a, a young man named Elisha. I want you to invite him to join you in the journey of being a prophet because he's going to, he's going to succeed you and he's going to surpass you and he's going to do twice what you have done, Elijah. And Elijah goes to where Elisha is, where God told him to be. And Elisha is farming the ground. Elisha is a nobody from nowhere, but God knew where he was and God said, sent somebody to go find him. Listen, I heard a preacher say one time, you never know who God is talking to about you. And when Elijah shows up and he invites Elisha to come join me in this journey, I want you to see Elisha's response. This is in 1 Kings 19. We're not going to be here long. It says this in verse 20. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, please come, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? Elijah's like, bro, you ain't for real. I mean, I'm in, dude, you are a nobody from nowhere and I am inviting you to be a spokesperson for the almighty God and to be the conduit whereby miracles happen for his people. And you want to go back and talk to your mama and your daddy and hug them and kiss them? Man, get out of here with that. Elisha goes back and once you notice what happens, verse 21, he turned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen, the very ones that he was using to farm the, the, and plow the fields and he slaughtered them and he boiled their flesh and uses the oxen's equipment. He gave it to the people and they ate and then he rose and he followed Elijah and he became his servant. You see, what Elisha did was Elisha made a decision that this invitation that I have to follow this man to be a part of the movement of my God is so much more significant than anything that I can ever encounter experience here. This is a no-brainer. 
But what I've got to be willing to do is, is it's probably going to get tough. I've got to make sure I burn the plows so that there's no plan B, so that there's no coming back to it. You see, one of our core values as a church is that we will follow Jesus. And we define that by saying that we lay our yes on the table. Before God ever asks the questions, God, there's my yes. I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm not going to hold anything back. And I've got no plan B. You see, the problem is for a lot of believers is that when we say yes to salvation, we think that the point of it all is just so that we can know that we don't go to hell, but we get to go to heaven. But when we live in this belief, we, we shortchange and miss out on the vast majority of the amazing things that God intended for us to experience when it comes to our walk with him. That the point of salvation was not so that we could go to heaven. The point of salvation is so that heaven can come and live inside of us. So oftentimes we like to say yes to Jesus and then we want to go back and be where we used to be doing the things we used to do and say, well, Jesus loves me, I'm forgiven. And that's a true statement. You are loved and you are forgiven. But what Elisha did, there's some people that are hearing me today that have never done this, that need to make some decisions today. If you want to reach a point of maturity the way that Elisha did, to fight the battles the way that Elisha could, then you've got to be willing to do what Elisha did. And you've got to be willing to burn the plows. You've got to be willing to say, listen, I'm a new person. I'm changed. I'm not the same. I've been forgiven of everything that I've done. I've been made new. I've been made a new creation. I've got a new lease on life. That means I can't just go back to the same playground with the same playmates doing the same things. I've got to be willing to, to burn some things. That doesn't mean that you, you'd burn a relationship and say, screw you, I'm out. No, you have a conversation saying, God's changing some things in me. God's doing some things in me and I want to follow him. And as long as I hang out with you in this place, I'm not following him. I want to be where God is. And what you begin to realize is what Elisha realized is that anywhere with nothing in the presence of Jesus is better than everywhere with everything without him. Elisha approached with faith. He also approached with confidence. Look at verse 16. He answered his servant, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So the Syrians came down to him and Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike the people I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. You see, what Elisha had come to the point of understanding in his journey of growing and understanding who God is, is he began to learn and realize this truth that you and I have to understand. It's so, listen, I want you to know this so bad, but I can't make you know this. I can't make you understand this. I can't make you believe this and I can't make you live by it. But it is 100% true that every battle faced on the road of obedience to following Jesus is a battle that belongs to the Lord. Every battle, every conflict, everything that you face on the road of following Jesus, Jesus, my yes is on the table. Lord, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna draw some, some lines in the sand about what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do in my career based on what your word says. Jesus, I'm following you. And when the line gets crossed and, and your boss or your place of business asks you or tells you that you need to cross that line, when you say, no, 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 I said yes to following Jesus, it's gonna be hard. You might face some, some consequences for it, but that battle, it belongs to the Lord as long as you continue to follow him. God, you want me to live sacrificially. You want me to live gener generously. You want to give financially to the, to the work of advancing your kingdom, first through the local church and then, and then to other things. And, and you want me to give how much? I don't have that much money. I'm telling you, I'm walking proof of this. The battle of the finances belongs to him when you let him have your checkbook to start with. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is a lot of us in our spiritual immaturity, we make decisions to go our own way. And we end up fighting battles where Jesus is pulling us this way. And there's moments, there's times, there's, there's things that happen in a blink of an eye where we go, no, 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 I'm good. I got it. I kind of want to run this way for a second. Here's the deal. The battles we face going this way apart from Jesus, those battles belong to you. 
God will love you. And the moment that you turn from that, not only will you find that Jesus is right where you left him, but he's probably taken a couple steps to come find you. And in our spiritual immaturity, we'll make, we'll make decisions about, about areas of sin. We'll make decisions about our finances, about our career, about our relationships, where we just choose to not go and do what God's leading us to do. We'll do our own thing. And God says, listen, that one right there, that one belongs to you. But you come over here and follow me and lay your yes on the table. Every battle you face, it'll belong to me. He said, I don't know that I believe that. Well, I want to prove it to you. I want to prove it to you because God has established for himself an incredible track record of being trustworthy and winning the battles that he decided he was going to fight. All the way back in Exodus, when Israel was being busted out of slavery to the Egyptians for over 400 years, and, and they finally made their way out, and the 10 plagues had happened, and, 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 and they came to the Red Sea, and, and Pharaoh had a change of heart, and his, his entire chariot army is chasing after him. And when, when Israel was facing a, an obstacle that they could not overcome, and an enemy that they could not defeat, this is what Moses said in the confidence of the Lord in Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, shall, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. When God told Joshua to take the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan and go into a land that they knew was flowing with milk and honey, but was also a land that had giants in the land and that had people trained for war that would overwhelm them. Joshua, in the confidence of the Lord, was able to turn to Israel and say this in Joshua chapter two. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have already given to you. When David fought the giant of Goliath, David wasn't concerned as everybody else in, in, the, in the Israelite army was upset and concerned about what would happen if they showed up and, and took on that giant. But David wasn't concerned because David knew that if, it's, if he's in pursuit of the Lord and if Israel's doing what God wants him to do, then the battle already belongs to God and the outcome is already decided. And so as he comes running down to face Goliath and as Goliath is taunting him, you send a little boy to me. I'm a giant. I'm a man of war. I'm a death machine. But David reaches down and grabs some smooth stones and he comes running at that giant. And as he does, he says in 1 Samuel 17, then all the assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You see, these are things that have happened in the past. They were, they were actions that were taken, preparation that was made, battles that were fought based on promises that God had told them way back in ancient days in the past. But it's critical that you understand that God doesn't just make promises for the people who lived in the past. He makes promises for you. And God makes some promises. I want to share some promises with you. He promises that, listen, in the road of following me, you're going to have some battles. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough sledding at times. But God promises that every time that you face criticism because of what you're doing and your pursuit of following him and where he's leading you, he says this in Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You know what he's saying? He's saying that every time that someone opens their mouth and speaks nonsense about you and based on decisions that you are making, on the convictions that you have, on the word of God and where God is leading you, and they open their mouth to criticize you, not only will they be criticized, but when it's all said and done, you will be the one that will be criticizing them. God also makes a promise that when you face hardship and persecution for following Jesus, which you will. In John 16, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have already overcome the world. Victory is already yours. It's just a matter of the semantics of how the story's gonna play out. 
When you face temptation, areas of sin that you don't believe that you will ever overcome, addiction and, 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 and whatever the issue is for you, God issues this blanket thing and he says this in James chapter four, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And notice what happens, that in those moments when you finally draw a line in the sand and you resist the devil and you, you pursue God and you open up and you share the deepest things that you're struggling with, with a safe group of people, God doesn't say he's gonna come and condemn you. He doesn't say he's gonna start, start sending bolts of lightning to zap you? No, 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 no. What does it say? It says that you, when you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. See, there's so many people who live in spiritual immaturity because you believe that God is still mad at you because of the thing that you did this week. Now listen, God doesn't like the thing that you did this week, but God loves you and he wants you to be free from it. And God doesn't turn his back on you. And he also doesn't pour his vengeance out upon you. If you belong to Jesus, anybody who responds to him can turn to him and experience the love of the Father. And then God issues this blanket statement, Romans 8, 31, in case there's something else that you didn't know about. He says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We need to learn to approach with faith. We need to learn to approach with confidence. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says about this because, because what so many people who are spiritually immature in your relationship with Jesus, you look at situations, you think there's no way I can win that. I can't, I can't share about this area of sin because I'm going to lose everything. I can't, I can't trust God with my finances. I don't have enough. I can't, I can't be the first one to forgive that person. Do you know what they said to me? You know what they did to me? All of these things are things that we are convinced that we can't win these battles. But if God is for us and if we're walking in him, who can be against us? You know what that means? It means, I love what Tony Evans says. He says, when we align ourselves with God, our enemy is always outnumbered. It means that when you want to walk and do your own thing, good luck. But when you follow the Lord and you walk in him, as long as you're with him, the enemy is always outnumbered. What that means is, is that the victory is already yours which means that you've already won the victory. It's just the time has to catch up to the truth that God has already established. I believe this with all my heart, that there is no room for fear in the psyche of a believer. There's no room for fear. You know what fear is? Fear is a magnifying glass. Because what fear does is it magnifies something that you are not trusting and believing God in. What you fear most reveals where you trust God least. So fear, anxiety, stress, all of those things. When those things well up this week, I wonder if you would be willing to have the faith and the confidence to come to God and say, God, I'm feeling all kinds of stuff right now. Would you be willing to show me what it is revealing about where I'm not trusting in you? Because I know that you said that the battle belongs to you and I want to experience the victory in the battle. So if there's something I'm not trusting with you, if there's something I'm not walking in faith and confidence in, God, I want to know what it is so I can get on the right side of the battle. Elisha also approached with vigilance. Look at verse 17. Elisha prayed, Lord, I pray open his eyes and he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. They opened their eyes. Elisha, the, the, the servant is able to see what Elisha sees now. That yes, the Syrian army is surrounding them. But what's surrounding the Syrian army is the angel army of the Lord. Elisha ain't worried about it. He said, what does this have to do with vigilance? It has everything to do with vigilance. Because what we need is what the young servant need. We need to be able to have a lens of faith. Last week, we learned that everything is spiritual. And in this, in this situation, we get a, one of the rare glimpses where, where the, 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 the veil that separates the physical world from the spiritual world is pulled back and the servant is able to see and you and I as readers are able to see what is going on in the spiritual world. That when you are walking in obedience to the Lord and you feel like you're facing a battle, they may have you surrounded, but the Lord has them surrounded. You see, here's the problem. When we're spiritual infants, we have the gift of sight to be able to observe 
who and what is around us. But it's only in spiritual maturity that we develop the ability to see. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what we talked about last week. Remember the situation when, when Peter, Jesus said, this is what I'm going to go do. And Peter's like, over my dead body, and pulls him to the side. Jesus had the, the sight to observe that Peter was the one that stood in front of him. But he could see that Peter was not the one that was pulling the strings. That there were spiritual forces at work. He had a lens of faith. Elisha had a lens of faith. He prays for his servant to have a lens of faith. About a year ago, Jessica and I were going through some hardships. We were wrestling with some stuff in our marriage and we were wrestling with some stuff in our lives personally. There were some, 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 some old uh, sin habits that we were tripping on and, uh, and just really kind of struggling with it. And I remember confiding in, in a pastor friend of mine uh, because your pastor has pastors that I talked to. You need to know that. And I opened up and confided to my friend and my man, this is what's going on in my home. This is what we're working through in our marriage. This is what she's working through. This is what I'm working through. Man, I just, I just feel defeated. I feel like I'm at a loss. And, and, and I felt so, so silly as a pastor. Well, my friend said, man, brother, you, man, the devil is, is, is attacking your marriage. Man, it's not just the physical, the disagreements and the arguments. And bro, that's not, that's not the real problem. The real problem, man, I can see this plain as day. There are spiritual forces. God is, God is on the, in the midst of trying to do something in your marriage, in your home, or in your church, or in your life personally. I don't know what it is, but the devil is on the attack. And, and there's spiritual forces that work in your home. And I felt silly because I didn't have the vigilance to think that way. Here's why we need to have vigilance in the battles. Because 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says that we need to be sober vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, your enemy, the devil, is always on the prowl trying to surround you, trying to box you in. And what you and I need is, is we need to have the vigilance of the awareness that whatever is physical is not the real issue. That whatever person I'm having conflict with, my problem is not the person that it's spiritual and I need to have spiritual eyes and a spiritual lens of faith to be able to see what's actually happening so that in the effort to try to win a battle, I kill a relationship. Which leads us to the last thing that Elisha did that you and I need to do. We need to approach with kindness. After the enemies are struck with blindness and he does his Jedi mind trick thing and he, he leads them Back to the king of Israel, they open their eyes and, and they see where they are and the king of Israel wants to, wants to execute all of them. But Elisha knows better. Verse 22 says, but he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you've taken captive by your sword and your bow? So food and water, <clears throat> set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prayed a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. You see, here's the problem. Most of us, when we fight a battle and our battle involves a person, we automatically assume the worst. And because we assume the worst, then we typically show up locked and loaded, baby, let's go. Blitzkrieg, shock and awe, I will dominate you. At least that's how I do it. Here's what God's been showing me, and maybe this will be helpful for you. What, what good is it to win that if it kills the relationship? You see, instead, they chose to approach with kindness. Why is this important for us? Because of everything that I've been telling you, that if you belong to Jesus, the battle was already won. And if we know that we are already on the side of victory, then our goal is not to defeat as many as possible. Our goal is to try to get as many people as possible with us on the side of victory. So that bitter relational dispute, bitter arguments over political things, trying to get the last word, 
See, we need to be more obsessed not with being right, but getting it right, which is why we need to approach with kindness. And here, here's what Elisha knew. I don't know if they said this back then. I don't know if y'all have ever heard this saying or not, but in the South, we have a saying, um, you, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Y'all ever heard that? Okay, so maybe that's not just a Southern thing. Now, I got to be honest, I never really understood why somebody want to catch flies. I don't, I don't, man, that's how bored we are in the South. We're just trying to find stuff to do. How many flies did you catch today? Oh, I got about a dozen. (laughs) What that statement means is that you're going to win more battles with kindness than with vengeance. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. You might win more battles with vengeance and wrath and anger. And you may look at all of the battles that you won. But when you pull back from it, you'll see that you're still standing on the losing side because you've lost the wars. Elisha knew if we respond by executing everybody, there's just going to be more people that are going to show up and attack. But if we respond with kindness, if I can display kindness and, and demonstrate the goodness of my God, then maybe that will, that will thwart their desire to come and seek vengeance on us. And that's exactly what happened until they found another thing to fight about. And then they came back the very next verse, they come back and they start fighting again. We don't know how much time passes between this verse and the next verse, but we just know there's a time where the raiders go away. Wouldn't that be awesome if the raiders could just go away? (laughs) Somehow they've moved closer to us. So Elisha approached with kindness. What does that mean for you to approach with kindness? Does that mean that you just, you know, hi, friend. Oh, oh my, what a wonderful day. Kidney shot. Does it mean that we just approach life and all the things with the blind optimism? Just stare at enemies in the face while they just, you know, punch us and beat us and just, hi, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, kind of? Like, is that what we're supposed to do? No, it's not. No, Jesus told us what we're supposed to do. In Matthew chapter, six, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he said this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You see, every single morning when you wake up and you put your feet on the ground, you're stepping into battle. Why? Because everything is spiritual. We talked about that last week. And your battle might be at your refrigerator. you're trying to lose weight and you're, you're trying to get healthy. You're trying to be a good steward of the body that God's given you. And your battle is at the refrigerator at the pantry. Or maybe your, bad, your, your battle is in, in the living room with a member of your family. Or maybe your battle is when you, when you go out and you go into Babylon, the terrible world that is the secular school. You go into your workplace, Babylon, evil, vile, Sinners. I don't, I don't know where your battle is, but here's what you have to understand. If you belong to Jesus, then every morning when you wake up and you put your feet on the ground, he's sending you into the wolves. And he's not asking you to do something that he didn't do because scripture says that Jesus came into this world as a lamb led to the slaughter. So because you're being sent out as wolves, who's the minister here? By the way, God's just pieced all of these sermon series right together. It's been awesome. He says, I want you to be harmless, wise as serpents, harmless as stuff. You know what it means to be wise as a serpent? I hate snakes, but I, I, I used to read a lot about them when I was a kid. And I learned that uh, venomous snakes do not always inject venom when they bite because they know that they have a very finite amount of venom at any one time. And it takes a long time to be able to reproduce the next amount of venom for its next kill. 
You've got to be wise in how you approach the battles. You've got to be harmless as a dove as you do it. It means don't go looking for a fight. But if you find yourself in a fight, have the confidence to know that if you're walking with the Lord, the battle belongs to him. And I think we would all do well to remember what God said. How did God win us over? How did God win people over? I think we as Christians forget this sometimes. God didn't win people over by being right all the time. God didn't win people over by showing how strong his position was. God didn't win people over by looking at all of his accomplishments creation. No, Romans chapter two, verse four tells us how God wins people over. It says that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. You see, it's his goodness that woos you and draws you to see that he's not what you thought he was. He's not an angry, vengeful, maniacal, egotistical being in the sky, that he is a loving father who cares about you and the things that you're going through, the wounds that you have, the scars that tell stories of past battles. He cares about the hardship with your spouse. He cares about your fight with your health. He cares about the situation with your kids. He cares about your finances. He cares about your career and where it's going. He draws you to himself by showing you his goodness. And the way that we win the battles, the way that we win with people is that we approach with kindness. And so what have we learned today? We've learned that as we go through life, as we get up, we need to pray for God to give us the right approach. What is the right approach? That we would approach with faith, that we would approach with confidence, that we would approach with vigilance, and that we would approach with kindness. Why? Because in the battles of life, our approach often dictates the outcome more than our tactics do. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.